Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. It is Front Row Knowles. It is Wednesday. It is 96 hours at least after what happened last Saturday. I'll just leave it at that. Keith, good to see you. Good to be seen. Good to be upright and taking nourishment, as they say. And uh, good to be 96-plus hours past that debacle. I think that's exactly right. Time heals all wounds, right? Unfortunately, it feels like there's more wounds to come, and I think that's the conversation we're going to have today. To me, it felt like, okay, this is a realization, if you didn't have it already, that uh, just as Rome was not built in a day and the FSU dynasty was not built in a day and FSU did not get to this level in a day, nor are we going to fix the issues in a day. So be patient, buckle in, support your school, and let's move forward. How does that sound? It, it is the, it's the banter of what we need to be talking about. That's the bottom line. You can either throw up your hands and say, I'm writing the program off. I'm going to go you know, take up soccer or whatever. Or you can understand, as you mentioned, it didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get out of here overnight either. Which goes to, and we've made this point previously, and I'll reiterate it now, to me, you have to judge the rest of this season on improvement. Let's, let's look at areas and see, are things moving forward? Are you improving more so than looking at the one loss record, which I know is what we all fixate on. And everybody starts pulling out the schedule and trying to count wins and saying, well, I don't know, we're 0-2 now. What's it going to look like? I think we really need to look at it. It's hard to do. We're not all trained football experts. Let's look at the young offensive linemen. Let's see if we feel that they're blocking better later on this year than what they're doing now. Let's look at Lawrence Toafili. Let's look at other guys. They don't just have to be young guys. Did they get better? Are they better in November than what we saw the first two weeks of the season? And I think another part of it too, Tommy, that's the, the, the quantitative part. Are they improving their yards for play? And is the quarterback completion percentage improving? And is this happening and is that happening? But the qualitative part, which is very, very hard for us to get consensus on, the qualitative part is 
Are you seeing effort? Are you seeing teamwork? Are you seeing people can, you know, doing their assignment, even if they're getting physically beat by a better athlete on that particular play? And you've got to look at both of those. The quantitative, you know, we do have some measurements that you can use. You can't focus on them exclusively, but you can tell if you're getting more yards per rush or you're increasing your percentage of completions. But the thing I did like from Saturday night all the way into the fourth quarter is when some of the young kids did get in there, it appeared to me, others can make their own conclusion, but it appeared to me that there was effort and they were uh, attempting to do what they had been coached to do. And they're just young. And that part is encouraging to me. And I hope that part will continue as well, obviously. It's, it's jarring to think of what the other night looked like, but in retrospect, and I swear we do this every year, Keith, and we promised this offseason we weren't going to do it, but you go nine months, and by the time you get ready to kick, we've all talked ourselves into, well, we're going to be better at this position and better at this position and better at this position. And then kickoff happens, and you realize, well, those are things that we should have known might be deficiencies because they've been deficient in previous years. Uh, so I think that's part of what's in everybody's head right now as well. Additionally, for those of us that are older and have been around the program for a while and remember the dynasty years and remember the lost decade, you know, we, we know what it's like to be on the other end of that. We've gone to Clemson and beaten them by five or six touchdowns. We've, we've gone to Miami and beaten them convincingly. Uh, so we know what that feels like. It's just hard to reconcile that the, the, the cards are now reversed and, and now we're on the losing end and not the winning end because we've seen that it can be done. And the question become, becomes, what do you do in order to try to get back there? And how does Florida State get back to what it once was and try to stay there? And maybe you can never get to a 14-year dynasty run again. But there are some interesting parallels, Keith, when you look at history as a guide. And we all know, not that you and I are uh, fashionistas, but you know, what was in style in the 80s goes out of style. And then lo and behold, you know, my kids start wearing it again. Like it comes back every 20 or 30 years, right? So let's go back to, oh, do you have a fashion comment? I don't want to interrupt. No, I was not going to make a fashion comment. was just going to say that sometimes you got to go back 50 or 60 years. And yet, let's remember one thing that your grandparents and your parents told you, and now that you experience as a parent for your children, there are certain things that don't change over time. And if you are continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, then you haven't paid attention to history. And history would teach us that you cannot achieve success doing the same thing over and over again that's not working and expect it to work. So while we may take a look back and history may be something that uh, our younger listeners would say, these old guys are at it again. There are certain lessons to be learned, and you best learn them and not forget them. So I'll elaborate, but first I'll simply state what you're telling me is that I shouldn't expect to lose weight by continuing to snack and graze after dinner at night. That's probably not going to help me get a different result than what I currently have. Uh, that would be affirmative. Yes. So to the bigger <laughs> picture and bringing it back to Florida State football, <clears throat> Kurt Unglob is going to join us today. Now, longtime Florida State fans know Kurt. He was one of your teammates. You know, Kurt. The historical lesson, and we opened this up in our Front Row Knowles First Look show, which aired earlier this week, 
there are parallels through two games of Mike Norvell's career to the first two games of Bobby Bowden's career. Unfortunately, the parallel is that both coaches were 0-2 at that point in their FSU tenure, and the second loss was a one-handed affair at the hands of Miami on the road. We know what happened last week. Bobby's second game, 1976, he lost 47 nothing to Miami. So, though there wasn't social media, though there wasn't as big a fan following for FSU, those who were vested probably were having the same conversations about, I don't know what we've gotten ourselves into or how we get out of it. Now, uh, you know, a further parallel would be that the three or four years prior to 1976 had not been very successful for FSU football. Talk of even dropping the program just as the three or four years prior to this have not been very successful, though there was no talk of dropping the program. Uh, So that's a lot of a a setup to say what happened next is where it gets interesting, and that's where Kurt Unglob comes in, and I'll let you pick up the story from there. Jerry Kutz did a nice job chronicling it in the Osceola this week, and FSU fanatics, longtime FSU fans know know the story, but it's interesting because this is where the change started. What Coach Bowden basically did is say, look, We've got some older players, some upperclassmen here that have not been used to winning and maybe arguably don't know how to win, however you define that. So what he did is he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hitch my wagon to the young kids. And they go to Oklahoma, heavily favored, huge crowd. They did not win the ball game playing those youngsters. Oklahoma, played, heavy. Oklahoma was heavily favored, just to clarify. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and um, they didn't win the ball game, but they played a bunch of young kids and they got their feet wet, as the, as the book says. And that began the process of redoing the culture. And obviously that's a similar situation that the 2020 Knowles find themselves in. You and I talked about in our first look show, you know, this team – and I know Coach Norvell and the coaching staff might disagree with us, and that's fine. But this team, in our estimation, doesn't know how to win because they haven't experienced success. So they come into the ball game in both the Georgia Tech game as well as the Miami game. They come into the ball game and they perform well in the early part of it. But then they're all looking around waiting to see what's going to happen bad. What's going to happen next? Because that's all they know. They don't know how to say, what's going to happen good? What do I need to do to make it happen good? And so you take the older guys that unfortunately are predisposed that way to the negative, and you replace them with the younger guys that may not be as fast, may not be as strong, may not be as skilled, but they don't have that handicap. They don't know to look around and say what bad is going to happen. They know to look around and say, all right, what do I got to do to make it good? And that sounds simplistic and that sounds silly. And some of our listeners are saying, you know, the old Jones guy is going off on another one of his tangents. But that is the reality of team sports. And Coach Bowden was willing to make that move. I grant it was almost 50 years ago, but the principle's the same. And I think Coach Norvell and his staff – while they may not be willing to make the whole scale changes that Coach Bowden did, because that was a daring move in his, in his first year, I think we're going to see, and we've already seen with the, uh, the depth chart that has been released, we, we pick on the starters and the oars, you know, this one or this one or this one. <clears throat> we've already seen that change, whether it be significant or not. <clears throat> and I think come Saturday, you're going to see a continuing change 
in terms of the players that are played and the number of reps that they get. We'll cross our fingers and see what happens. Yeah, who knows how much changes, will, how many changes in personnel will occur or in snaps for certain players. But when you when you start like this, and Mike Norvell has not, you you have to evaluate, and, and I made this point in our show earlier this week, especially because of the unique circumstances that he was home watching this game by himself. Right. I have to think that he saw this through a different prism than any coach would ever see it during a season because you never watch a game by yourself when it's unfolding live. You might watch game tape by yourself, and lots of coaches do, but never in those that scenario. So – I think it'll be curious to see, but you, you know, you, you, you evaluate not just personnel, but how you're implementing things in practice or how you're communicating, which unfortunately has been limited by zoom or was much of the off season. And certainly the last 10 days for coach Norvell, you look at everything time of day for practice. What's your feeding guys? Are we working out too hard or not enough during the, all those questions get asked. Um, not that you necessarily have time to change all of them, but you do put those questions on the table. And you, you prioritize, that's what you do as a coach. You prioritize and say, you know, this is the one thing that we can get better at immediately. This thing over here, we got to wait and do that in spring practice. But this one we can do now. And I think you'll begin to see that because I, I still have great, conf- great confidence in this coaching staff. I mean, their ability to adapt to what they've been handed over the last five or six months I think what they've done has been phenomenal. It has not translated in wins and losses on the field yet, but their ability to adapt and and to mold and to uh, change, I mean, they are not uh, unwilling to look at new things, and that is encouraging to me. And they're all continue to be dedicated, as I mentioned, repeating myself, when the youngsters got in at the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, I like the effort I saw. I like the body language. Um, it's just going to be a big, long, uphill climb. That's well said. And we'll be here to help you every step of the way, or at least one hour of your journey each week. You know, that's what we do, right? Two hours during football season. Bob Ferrante, our uh, Osceola insider, is uh, in the on-deck circle. He's going to join us next. We'll continue this conversation. This is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ, time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider. Hey, Bob, I wish we uh, had happier news, or maybe you do. I don't know. How are you, first of all? I'm doing well. It's it's all been good since I uh, left Miami and got up the turnpike and then got back to Tallahassee. So uh, better, better days, hopefully, uh, in the weeks ahead. You were at the game, and we'll get into that, but just not separate the result before the game. Did it feel like FSU-Miami with that smaller crowd? It was a weird kind of game day. I mean, frankly, we, we got there a little bit later than expected, but the, the parking lots were, were wide open, plenty of, of space to 
the park and get there, no tailgating. Um, you know, typically as you walk out of that stadium afterwards, there's trash everywhere because nobody's picked up anything. It, it kind of feels very strange. And then going inside, just pockets of fans here and there. It seemed to be an even smaller crowd than they announced. I think they announced around eleven or 12,000. But it, it didn't have a really big rivalry feel to it at all. It, it just had a strange kind of game day for sure. Well, and then it got worse from there for Florida State. So none of us saw that score coming. What was your biggest takeaway in the moment and really since then? You've met with the team and the players several times or or been in press conferences with them since then. You know, it's so tough when you're just not competitive against a rival like that. And there are some glaring stats and numbers. The the one that hit me is – how do you have four? How do you have three starting receivers who have one catch for two yards? How does Tamari and Terry and Warren Thompson get shut out? I don't think that the offense is playing all that well around the quarterback. And of course, you play James Blackman. Do you start him? Who do you start? Those are all great questions too. But the offense just didn't feel right, except for that first drive um, on defense. I question a three-man front, not from an X and O standpoint, but the three-man front just wasn't very effective as far as putting some pressure on King, and they they rarely really got to him, and I think that that made it very difficult and very much a long night defensively. It, it just didn't feel like after a bye week that there was a sound game plan that was effective. It clearly was not effective, um, you know, on offense or defense. Well, certainly uh, in a drubbing like that, there's enough blame to go around coaching staff, players, uh, plays that are called techniques, schemes. But in in this particular situation, Bob, you don't have time to change. I mean, you, you can't install something new. So the biggest move that you can make is change the personnel. Obviously, you can change the play calling, but change the personnel. So one of the themes that we've been tracking on and from the limited contact I have with folks is simply that maybe you ought to play the young guys and just see what that does. Your thoughts. I totally agree. I think we talked about this a little bit two weeks ago. You know, there are comparisons to 1976 and what coach Bowden did. And and by all means, this is not a let's play every freshman. Let's sit every senior discussion. This is who is giving the most effort, who understands the scheme, who do you think can go out there and be effective? And you're, you're going to have to accept that there are growing pains with playing a true freshman, a red shirt freshman. It's going to hurt a little bit, but at a certain point, you're also looking toward not just what the record is in 2020, but development for 2021 and beyond who's best to build the program who are building blocks and we've seen that with some young kids. It, it's going to be painful to do that, but I think it's going to start to come. Again, whether it's this weekend just because it's an FCS opponent and you're going to see some younger guys play because we think the score disparity may be there. But I, I think, too, in, in, in weeks to come, it, it's going to have to be something that Coach Norvell and the staff really evaluate. Who is going to give the best effort? Who can we get the most, productive, um, most production out of? 
It's going to take me a minute to set this question up, Bob, but fans, Florida State fans, know what the last few years have looked like. So they know that a three-man front was not very effective last year. They know that James Blackman abandons the pocket a little bit early, doesn't go through his reads, those sorts of things. I think back to the first year Jimbo was in charge, not when he was OC, but when he became head coach and Stoops was the defensive coordinator. I remember specifically when Mark Stoops was asked about looking at game tape or how guys had played the year before, and he said, I didn't look at any of it. This was a clean slate. I didn't want to form opinions, anything about what these guys could or couldn't do. So my question to you is, to me, it's easy as fans to say, we've got a four-year history of this. This coaching staff has a two-game history. Where, where is it incumbent on them to look back and say, well, you know, this happened two years ago and last year too, versus I'm just going to judge and make decisions on what's happened since I got here in December? Yeah, it's a good one, right? Um, I, I don't know what the defensive – identity is right now through two games I, I don't think it's a three-man front but I, I did ask coach Fuller you the other day do you play that way that three-man front because you don't have Josh Kando do you choose a different scheme and it sounded like it was more of we want to try this this three-man front and that's part of their principles that's part of what they are going to do they're going to play some four-man up front some three-man I'm not sure that this the talent on defense is designed for a three-man front. I think these are four, three, you know, down linemen or linebackers. They're just going to have to see how this plays out. If it's not working as a three-man front, and, and I'm not sure that it is going to, you have to figure out, okay, how do we get back to a four-three with or without Kando? That's one question and answer. The other one is, who are your linebackers outside of Amari Gaynor that you know and trust who can play this game at a high level. Do you roll the dice with a, a Stephen Dix Jr. who, you know, flashes and makes some plays but also makes some mistakes? Do you put him in more versus a senior linebacker? A lot of questions. You just got to figure out, you know, to Coach Norvell's point, who gives you the best chance to win on Saturday? And, and he's trying to figure that out too. Which guys, which scheme puts you in that position? Defensively as well, and it's a, a natural fan tendency, you know, to blame it on the coaching staff. Well, they had a bad game plan. But one of the things that I've noticed through two games, I'd be interested in your observation, is we have played a lot of zone, a lot of zone. And maybe it's time to go ahead and turn it loose and play a little more man and let our death be quicker as opposed to eight and ten play drives. In other words, let's give up a 70 or 80 yarder because a corner or a safety got beat. But it's just demoralizing every time the opponent's offense runs eight, 10, 12 plays and scores. Something's got to change there, it would seem. Right. I'm going to generalize and just say that I think a lot of these guys probably in high school played man-to-man they're used to it they like that one-on-one matchup zone just isn't as much fun you're going to give up some yardage here and there I'm of the opinion that that maybe Florida State felt like they had to play zone to best keep Derek King in check from a from a mobility standpoint to make sure that he wasn't running so much you got to keep guys in zone so that he doesn't find green grass to run 
But when it comes down to third down, and we saw the issues that Force had against Georgia Tech, couldn't get the Yellow Jackets and Jeff Sims off the field. Happened again against Miami. I think Miami was eleven to sixteen on third down for the game. You, you can't you can't win when you're you know giving up those kind of conversion rates again. Whether it's third and short or third and long, the numbers are still there. Miami's able to put together long drives and march down the field, and it just wears you out as a defense, both physically, mentally, also just emotionally. Just it wears you out. Keith, I want to continue that train of thought and you're looking at the DBs and clearly there's holes in the zone but they're not getting any help up front at all and it has to work with the pass rush so the short quest version of the question Bob is what's happened to the defensive line I think that's the one question that we all keep scratching our heads at you know whether it's Saturday night or, or Sunday morning or throughout the week they're just not getting any pressure and yes it's easy to say no sacks, but it's also no real hurries. I, I know Marvin Wilson really got to Derek King, but you know, on, on one of those hits, Derek just you know flipped it, and, and the receiver got behind you know Force State's defense, and it was a touchdown. So it, it's tough. Yes, it's it's not just players, it's not just scheme, it's not just the secondary. It is very much the pass rush is just not for whatever reason, and and I'm. I'm at a loss to try to figure out how how we all missed on this one because Adam Fuller throughout preseason camp thought this was a really good defensive front. Everything we'd heard, defensive front was playing very, very well. The the asterisk behind all of it was playing against a force the offensive line that had some major question marks um, going into the season. So that's in, in camp, how do you evaluate the the strength of that defensive front? Is it going to get better? I think it gets better if you get Josh Kendo back. Is he that high-end pass rusher coming off injuries? No. Is he an edge setter who can be productive against the run and, and maybe give you a little bit of a push? I think that answer is yes. They're going to have to get maybe a little bit more exotic in their their schemes, how you blitz. You blitz a safety, blitz a corner, a little more linebacker pressure you have to maybe get a little bit more creative and just figure out what will work, what will help you get some pressure up front. Because otherwise, yes, the, the defensive backs just can't, can't cover whether it's zone or man that long. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider this week. Uh, go online, subscribe to the Osceola monthly, annually, uh, get some great insight like this. Bob, the, really the, the other question, the million-dollar question outside the defensive line is what do you do at quarterback? So what do you expect this weekend? I think Coach Norvell should play as many quarterbacks are, that are available against Jacksonville State. I've advocated playing all four, especially if Chubba Purdy is ready. It's time to go for it and, and get two, three drives for every quarterback. The immediate reaction when everybody saw James Blackman at the top of the depth chart was, no, no, that's, that's not the right decision. And that, I think fans understandably are, are curious as to why is it still James Blackman? I would say for this week, let's see how this game develops. I think we very much see a bunch of quarterbacks. And then moving forward, the big question still is not just which quarterback can put your offense in a position to, to march down the field, but is that quarterback going to be comfortable enough to make decisions under duress, even with this offensive line being improved, but, but not really fully shored up? 
if you put a true freshman back there, is it going to hurt his development or is it going to help him? How is it going to play out? I do think you have to get Tate Rodemaker in there. Jordan Travis, too, if he's healthy and able to go. Joba Purdy, is he a week away? Is he able to go? We've seen him warm up, but we've not seen him in a game. It is time against Jacksonville State to see other quarterbacks not named James Blackman. I wouldn't get too bent out of shape if James is the starter, but I think as this game goes on, we definitely have to see all four of those guys. Bob, Tom and I talked about it on our first look show, and, and we're lazy. We've gotten old and lazy, so we didn't look it up. But has you have you heard anybody say or have you had any personal regulation? I don't ever remember three different quarterbacks throwing an interception in the same Florida State game. We Boy, may have seen a, we may be seeing a program first. Yeah, you got me. I can't I cannot think of one. Just like I I said to you earlier, I can't think of a game where Florida State had three starting receivers with only one catch. We're seeing some some bad history, to say the least. And 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 these are these are growing pains. I mean, Jordan Travis's interception was was horrible. That's one where you just got to tuck it and take the sack, and it's going to be awful. But it's not interception awful. Tate's interception, it was bad. But he still got the chance to get in there, get some playing time in that fourth quarter. And you know, a lot of us will say, well, he, he didn't he didn't get points out of that drive. They didn't finish when they were what you know first and goal down down near the goal line. But those, these are positive moments for Tate moving forward in his development. It's it's a growing pain kind of season, I think, at a lot of different positions. And we're just going to have to accept that, you know, interceptions are probably going to be part of that. They're just going to have to learn from it. We'll go down uh, memory lane, a little history lesson for our younger Noel fans in our next segment as Kurt Unglaub will join us. Bob, as we finish up here, first of all, Jacksonville State uh, – Seems a while ago now, but it really wasn't that long ago. We weren't sure who Florida State was going to play for a non-conference because we thought it was Samford for a while. Then Samford, like their their league's not playing football. This game came together pretty quickly. Yeah, from the time Samford, you know, decided not to play in the fall, it was about six days before Florida State was able to come to a quick deal with Jacksonville State. And you know, for a lot of reasons, this game made sense. It had to be an FCS opponent for financial reasons, also. You know, for Mike Norvell, in, in all honesty, not having the spring, not having the time to develop and implement your schemes, there was some reluctance to play another FBS school, whether that was here or a game played, you know, downstate against an FBS opponent. So I think they felt like Jacksonville State was a really good matchup, um, just as, as far as giving some development time for your team. And, um, you know, I, I think for me, as someone who follows the sports business, We've talked about how games take months and, and maybe even years to get scheduled. For a game to get scheduled in six days is pretty remarkable. I think it shows you that that you know quick thinking by by schools like Florida State, Jacksonville State, trying to fit needs, find solutions. You know, the game is going to be played for four hundred thousand, and on Florida State's end, you're saving a good amount of money by not expending it on a maybe a bigger name FBS school. And sure, I think we'd all like to see an opponent that's maybe more has name recognition or value, but this game had to happen for a lot of reasons. And I, I don't know, Bob, I'm, I'm sort of glad it's not UCF, which fans were Ooh. calling for in the off season. I, I, I think I might be with you, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After seeing what we've seen, I think we're all happy. It's not UCF. Yes. Yeah. All right. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Thanks as always, Bob. Keep up the good work. Take care guys.
All right, we will step aside, come back, continue the Florida State football conversation on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to Bob Frante from the Osceola, and we'll continue our Florida State football conversation. A little history lesson here, so I, I got to go to the professor, Keith Jones, to do the uh, formalities. But uh, we'll open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline once again, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. KJ, take it away. <clears throat> Tommy, one of my longtime friends, teammate, uh, a very good friend, uh, Kurt Unglob. Those that have been around Tallahassee and Florida State football for a while will know that uh, Kurt's a graduate of Leon High School. I came in with uh, Coach Bowden in 1976. He redshirted, so he actually ended up leaving with me. So we're technically uh, graduates of the same uh, year at Florida State. Uh, two things about Kurt. Number one, uh, he was a big karate buff during his judo, college judo, days. Judo. Judos. Thank you. Yep. Judo. So nobody messed with him. And number two, number two, best hands in the business. When the, they didn't even, they had not even defined catch radius when Kurt was around. But if that ball was anywhere near him, he was going to snag it. My friend, it's good to see you. Appreciate you too, Keith. Man. Thank you. We went across each other a lot of times, and I very, very much respect you on on the field. I want you to know that. So. Kurt, thank you. Our our topic is more of a macro topic. Um, We've set up for our listeners that uh, in Coach Bowden's first year suffered a, a pretty big loss to Miami, go out to Oklahoma, start a bunch of young kids. You were part of that movement. And really the thought process is why would Coach Bowden do that and what was achieved for the program in doing that by saying, look, we've got some older guys that we really like, but they don't know how to win. They've, they've not experienced success. So we're going to play the young guys and just see what happens because that's our future. And now we fast forward some 40-plus years, we may be back in the same situation. What do you see? What do you think? Well, I mean, obviously it was different a long time ago. Players were different. The talent was certainly different. Um, the game was a little different. Uh, but uh, my biggest thought would be is, is that, uh, you know, we, we had a – just a miserable loss to the second game of the season to Miami, 47 to nothing. Very similar to what uh, Florida State experienced last week. Um, it wasn't on TV. It was a, you know, it wasn't that exposure. But from a player's perspective and from a team perspective, we walked off that field defeated, 100% defeated. And uh, we got back on the plane. We went to, uh, it was very quiet. You know, a lot of people didn't, didn't really think that, that uh, we really could win. We certainly were questioning if we could win. And I think uh, Coach Bowden picked up on that and said, okay, uh, similar to what you just said, Keith, he, he said, we've got to find how we're going to win in the future. And fortunately for me, I'd already started a couple games. So I was kind of the first freshman to kind of prove that maybe freshmen can play at this level at, at this time. So the, when he went back and looked at people like Scott Warren, Walter Carter, Mark Lyles, Jackie Flowers, those guys were rising up in the depth chart pretty high. They were up either second team or even third team. 
And he said, well, let's gamble on, on these, on these other freshmen and we'll put them in, 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 in one of the biggest games that Florida State has played uh, opponent wise and played against. And so we incorporated that into, into, into the, against Oklahoma out there in Norman, Norman, Oklahoma. And it was, it was just kind of a, a test, I guess. And um, from then on, it, it seemed to be proven that it was going to work. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it was just an excitement for us freshmen to be able to take a shot at that. But also it kind of gave a, a, a message to the rest of the team that, that no matter where you are, what, what you were playing, what year you were, he was going to try to put the, the best thing for the future in, in, in Florida State on the field. And uh, no matter if we, if we you know, were lost again or whatever, um, he was just in that mindset, and, and I have to condemn, you know, compliment him for that because of, of taking that gamble. But it seemed to pay off, Keith. One of the things that's universal in a team sport, and our fans and our listeners get tired of me talking about it, but the biggest thing a coach can control is the proverbial PT, playing time. So while you're playing those young kids and the upperclassmen are standing there watching, there's a motivation to that as well when they get their opportunity again. It's a win-win if you do it right. That's correct. Very much. Very much. And we had, um, you know, we had some great seniors on that team. Extremely just loved all those seniors on that team. If you took a combination of the, the underclassmen and the seniors of, of that 76 team, you know, we had some really outstanding seniors. And the seniors that were in that, in the starting lineups, they were true leaders. And they, they eventually, when, when, when Bowden made the call of putting this freshman in the game, they became our, our, our mentors or they became our, our guidance and our leaders to kind of to lift us up and compliment us. And there was a, just a great number of, of Jimmy Black comes to my mind and Jeff Leggett comes to my mind, Ed Beckman comes to my mind. All of those kind of guys were, were outstanding. All of a sudden they, they felt themselves having to take a couple of puppies under their wing and make them successful. And, and, and it, it, it kind of, that's that's the kind of the record we're talking we got about, out of that. We're talking with Kurt Unglob just at a little uh, Zoom glitch there, I think. So one of the psychological differences, big difference, Kurt, it strikes me from then versus now, is that the guys who were seniors in 76 arrived at Florida State uh, when Florida State had not had the established history, hadn't had the dynasty the guys that are seniors on this team now came to Florida State pretty fresh off a national title. Florida State's always playing in the big games. So if Coach Norvell and staff do decide, hey, we've got to play the young guys and that's the best recourse, I wonder or I worry about how that sits with the other guys. Was that – a again, it wouldn't, it, it, it's, it's apples to oranges in some respects. But, but what are your thoughts on that dynamic and how it's different this year, this year's team compared to yours? Well, I agree with you. Excellent point, Tom. I really think that that's a thought because, again, these guys were recruited to come to a, a major powerhouse, top five program in the country, and that's why they were recruited. Um, and, and, and they expect to come in and, and, and be able to play and, 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 and perform. Um, and a big difference in, in our scenario was is that you know, a lot of these guys were no names. They hadn't played that much. But they, they again, they, 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 they saw their role as much more being a leader and stepping up to do that. Now, not every one of them did. There were some, there were some people that, that, you know, that were in starting lineups that got moved out, and, and they, you know, they, they kind of hung their head a little bit. 
Um, some of them got back into the starting lineup as the year went on, and some of them kind of, you know, sat on the bench and pouted. Um, but, but, you know, I think that as Keith's point is, it was definitely a, a, a different type of motivation from where we were at. And, and I'm hoping that if, 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 if coach decides to play some freshmen, that, that the senior guys on that team will, will step up and, 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 and help this be a, a solid situation. Um, you know, the worst thing in the world you can do is sit on the bench and feel like you're just a single person. And, and, and if they can, if they can rally around helping supporting and helping training some of these, some of these new faces and, and, and being part of that, that's at least a, a psychological win for them. But if they're going to sit on the bench and, 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 and pout and, and, and not worry about, you know, nothing else except themselves, then, then that, that could create another major problem. Kurt, you and I have talked over the years, and the one thing Coach Bowden impressed upon us, again, being old guys, there's one thing that you absolutely can control. You can't control the weather. You can't control the crowd. You cannot control the virus. But the one thing you can control every day is your effort. Right. And I was a little bit, at least a little bit encouraged in the latter part of the third quarter and the fourth quarter of the Miami game last time out. When the young kids got in there, I thought I saw effort. Would you concur? I concur. I concur. I watched that 100%. I thought, I thought as, the, as the younger guys got in, involved with the game, the tempo increased, the, 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 the flying around bodies that we've seen at Florida State all of our lives, uh, I saw that increase a lot. Um, and it wasn't like I was made a play and came out of the game. I wanted to stay in the game and, 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 and do the right thing. Um, I really saw that in the, in the second and third and fourth quarter. I really did. I was encouraged. I was encouraged by the quarterback play of, of our freshman. I thought he was, he, you know, though there's a couple mistakes that he didn't make, you know, it seemed like he controlled the game a little bit differently than, than, in, than the, the prior two quarterbacks. And I was encouraged about that. Very encouraged. I, I was That's one of the things that we talk about, Tommy. You and I mentioned that he picked right up on it. One of the things that happens when you play the young guys is they're going to make some mistakes, but you just got to live with them. Well, no. Well, and if you go back to Coach Bowden's thought, and I use this in my business every day, Keith, one of the things, and you know this, you probably had them written down. There was five things that Bowden always talked about before the game and after the game. And one of the, the things that I, dwells in my mind every day is, is that, you know, go out and play the game at full speed and don't worry about mistakes. We'll correct them down the road, but give me that full speed effort. And we'll worry. And as long as you're giving me that, the mistakes might happen, but we'll correct them. But don't worry about them. And that's that's a that's a great philosophy. Absolutely fabulous philosophy. Agree. Totally agree. Kurt, you mentioned quarterbacks, and that's where I was going next. Just moving forward, when you look at the rest of your career, and I know you had a history at Leon High School with these guys too. But you know, nowadays we don't really see systems where you're alternating quarterbacks every few series. But it worked out for Florida State pretty well during your guys' playing days with Wally Woodham and Jimmy Jordan. Uh, I don't know if that's where this might go, but I'm just thinking in the context of if you're talking about a Chubba Purdy or a Tate Rotomaker who maybe they're not ready to play, they only know certain things, you don't want to subject them to every series of the game, but you want to give them four or five. What's that dynamic as an offensive player if you do have a different quarterback in the huddle or a couple are playing pretty routinely? Well, you you got to look at their talents. Um, you know, the, the, I was very, 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 very fortunate to have four good quarterbacks. But if we want to talk about Jimmy and Wally, um, you know, the, first of all, they're high school teammates of mine. That was always nice. Um, but the, the the talents that both of those guys brought to the table, and I'm hoping that you'll start to see this in, in some of the, the quarterbacks of Florida State, 
Um, you know, the talent that Wally had, he was the, he was the, the Joe Montana, the, the field general on the field. And we knew that we could win a football game with Wally Woodham at quarterback. Now you flip it over to Jordan. Jordan had the rifle arm. He, he was a Terry Bradshaw of the group. And, and as a wide receiver, I loved having Jimmy in the game because I know I was going to get a lot more opportunities with Jimmy in the game that I possibly could with Wally in the game because we were going to throw the football. And maybe by being able to, to, to look at those freshmen's talents that we have out there, you know, there might be some opportunities where we want to put, you know, the, the, the true drop-back passer in the game and in certain situations and maybe have a more of a, a play action or maybe a, a run-pass type of opportunity with, with one of the other quarterbacks. But uh, So I, I really kind of think of it at ease and look at their skill sets and what they bring to the table and, and put those in the right position at the right time. The one key to all that, though, Tommy and Kurt, you, I know you agree with it, but uh, you got to have selfishness, if I'm saying that correctly. Yep. There can be no ego, and that's one of the things. Tom, Wally and, and Jimmy hated the fact. They hated the fact that neither one of them was the full-time starting quarterback. Internally, yep. they didn't like it. But and they I, didn't I, I like that. both. Keith and I room with both of them, and they, they cried in their pillow to me every night about it. So, But they did not – do anything to affect the team. They did their job. They did. They supported each other. You would not know that in terms of what they did on the practice field and the game field. And that was very unique. Very unique. Very unique. Like I said, I, I roomed with both of them, so I heard the, the other side of that coin of, of wanting to play and be in the game the whole time. And it was really never a jealousy. It was more of just, you know, the opportunity lost if they weren't in the game. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it takes a tremendous character to be able to just to, 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 to come out of the game and let somebody else go in and do your job. It, it takes a lot of character, and both of them certainly have that. Well, to use your comparison point, if any of the quarterbacks currently on the roster are Joe Montana or Terry Bradshaw, I'm in favor of letting them see the field. I mean, that's just my <laughs> 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 Why not, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, as we wrap up, uh, and again, for the sake of our listeners, and I know that uh, there's many listeners to this program that have been fans since you guys were playing and before that, many are younger and they're thinking this is a history lesson and college football is 100% different today than it was in the mid and late 1970s. Uh, but one thing, that, the key, a, key, a point that Keith brought out earlier, you know, adversity is always going to come no matter what decade or what day or what opponent we're talking about. And, and I guess maybe I'll set you up this way. This has been, in my mind, one of the biggest struggles for this Florida State football team the last few years is how do you handle the adversity when it comes? Any advice on how they, this group could turn that corner? Well, I think, I think adversity, and Keith and I were at lunch the other day. We talked a little bit about, you know, trusting your practice, trusting your, your repetition, trusting your, a lot of things that you do on, um, outside of the game trusting your preparation, trusting all of that. And, um, and, and, and why do you practice so much during the week? Why do, you, why do you do that? If you're getting value out of your practices and you're getting, you know, consistent repetition and you're making yourself a really good player, you have to start with the fundamentals of having a good practice every day. And that allows you to perform on, on, on Saturday. Uh, put it this way, it gives you a fighting chance to perform pretty well on Saturday. Um, and, and really, that's what, what this team has to do is become a, a really good practice team um, and, 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 and which, which allows the team to come together better and allows you to kind of hone your skills a little bit better. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that, that, 
that that depth behind you. You don't have that that uh, that experience of those practices and that conditioning and all of that. It's tough to play well on Saturday. Real tough. Kurt Unglob, our guest, was a freshman on 1976 Florida State team, and uh, a little little history lesson there for all of us. Appreciate it, and uh, thank thanks for uh, your contributions to the program and your and your fanhood. I know it's uh, for a lot of our fans in particular who know you and watch you play. It's it's good for them to hear your voice. Well, thank you all for having me. Very excited, Keith. Great to see you again, and, and Tom, thanks for your time. Okay. You bet. We'll step aside, come back with more front row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Final segment here on Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. I uh, hope you guys are having a good week. Obviously, uh, tough times for Florida State football, but we're here to help us all through it, right, right, Keith? That's that's our role. Yeah, well, you were uh, one last uh, memory lane that, that uh, reinforces Kurt. Kurt was huge on practice. Kurt was a practice. I mean, you, you talk about in basketball about being a gym rat. Well, Kurt enjoyed practice, and he, he, we talked about skeleton and seven on seven and that type of thing. We, as he mentioned, we had lunch a little while ago. He told the story. I don't remember exactly where it was. Uh, and, of course, remember, for our longtime fans, FSU played North Texas State out in Texas in the snow game, for those that have been around long enough to know it. And Kurt had a 90-something yard touchdown reception in that ball game. But they were playing a, a high school game somewhere. Remember, Leon was state champion uh, in 75 or 74. And remember, too, that Wally Woodham set the national record for passing yardage national record at Leon and over 4,000 yards. And the next year, Jimmy Jordan broke it. So when they were at Florida State, those were your one, number one and number two all-time passing yardage leaders in high school. But they were playing somebody out in the panhandle, and, and, a, and the fog came in. And there was a third and 12. And, and, and Kurt talks about he ran an 18-yard curl, and he turned back, and he couldn't see Woodham. You just couldn't see. It was like that Chicago game on Monday Night Football way back when. You just couldn't see. And all of a sudden, there was the football, and he caught it. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't threw it to where he was supposed to be. And Kurt ran an 18-yard route where he was supposed to be. And in a split second, there was the football, but he never saw Woodham throw it to him. (laughs) And, And that was his philosophy about practice. If you do things right in practice, then you'll do them right in the game. By the way, it was a 96-yard touchdown because I happened to have his stats up, and that was the long that season. There you go. There you go. Well, as we finish up, Keith, and I didn't see this when it aired. I was on the radio broadcast. But uh, at some point in the broadcast on TV the other night, Kirk Herbstreet made a comment that I know if you were still listening and watching, you must have thought, I've been telling you. I've been telling you this for years. And so I'm paraphrasing, but I heard the headlines guys talking about it. But the premise was Florida State needs to go out and recruit football players and not worry about recruiting how many stars there are. Get football players and guys who love being at Florida State and start turning things around. Our listeners have heard me talk about, uh, you, you, you know, you can't be all thoroughbreds. 
you got to have some mules. And, uh, and Kurt Unglob was a mule and Keith Jones was a mule. We had some great athletes and Florida state needs some great athletes, but it's not all about the five stars coming out of college. Uh, you got to find kids that develop. You got to find kids that love the game. Uh, you've got to find the kids that are selfless as we talked about and want to do it for the program. And I know all those are real, um, cliche-ish things and and I know our younger listeners and the young our younger fans don't like listening to it and don't necessarily subscribe to it trust me at one point when they get a little older they will but you're exactly right you've got to have people that want to be at Florida State and want to love to play football for Florida State and are willing to give the effort and um, it's going to take bringing in those types of kids to put this program back where it was. Yes. You got to have some all-stars. You got to have some five stars. You got to have some notable players, uh, but you got to have football players, not just a bunch of athletes. Were you listening live when he said that, or did you miss it in the broadcast? I, I was listening live. Yes. Yes. And I shouted at you. <laughs> <laughs> I told him I've been telling T block that for years now. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I don't, I don't disagree that much with you on that. Uh, not to have a, my concerns about recruiting right now. Um, you know, if you don't show some signs of success, how many guys that are currently committed do you keep in the fold? But at the end of the day, it goes back to the, how we started this. It doesn't matter. Whoever you get, they need to want to be here and, and work hard. And, and it's a slow process. It's literally brick by brick, maybe. And we all want it to be an instant fix. And you change the lineup, and next week they go to Notre Dame and play great. But that isn't the way this is going to work. It, it goes back to the top of the show. They didn't get here overnight. They're not getting out of it overnight. Coach C.Y. Young, uh, Carlton Young from the basketball program we had on the show three or four or five weeks ago. And uh, I, he coined the phrase uh, H.C. Uh, G-R, high-caliber, high-quality, high-caliber, rather, gym rats. Those are the types of kids they want to recruit into the basketball program at Florida State, and Leonard's done a phenomenal job doing that. I don't know what the phrase for wanting to practice is in football, but we need high-caliber, fill in that phrase, uh, for working out during the week so that when Saturday comes, the game kind of falls in place for you. And by no means are we suggesting that this staff doesn't work the kids during practice. The practices are much different under Norvell than they were under prior regimes. And I do think that given the 20-hour limitation, there, there are some things you just can't do like you used to. But, uh, again, repeat, I'm impressed with this staff. I like what they're doing. It will take a while. I hope they stick to their guns. Uh, I hope that they are comfortable and are willing to take the chance with the young kids and let's just see what the next two or three or four weeks bring as we continue motoring down 2020. That's well put, Keith, as we finish up. Yeah, I don't think I can add anything to that. Hopefully, folks, uh, you enjoyed a little perspective uh, from what happened that, that kick-started the, the Bowden era early in his tenure. And we'll see where this goes. I do know this. Coach Norvell, when he got back to practice on Tuesday, uh, really one of the first times I saw him smile in the Zoom interview, which is not to say that he's not a friendly, personable coach, but he certainly the, – the 10 days remote that he spent, were th that had to feel like a six-year sentence to him. I mean, it had to be agonizing, even though he was able to talk to his team and his coaches. Uh, I, the way coaches are wired if you're around them, I mean, there is something to do 19 hours a day. It's all accounted for. 
Uh, and I realized he could do most of it, but when you're not in the team setting, that was a different dynamic. There is something to be said for that face-to-face personal interaction. And I won't go down my stupid tenet about uh, social media and what email and voicemail has done to our ability to communicate. But I will simply say, looking somebody in the eye, looking a group of people in the eye and getting a feel for the, the group as a whole personally is the best way and the, the most effective way to communicate. And I'm sure he was very, very glad to get back and be able to interact with his squad. There's no question. Jacksonville State, 4 o'clock on Saturday. We'll have the recap on Front Row Knowles' first look. Until then, have a great rest of your week. He's Keith. I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.